0: Before we get into our sermon, I do want to give you a brief update on our search for a youth minister. You've heard about that over the past several months. Back in the month of July, we announced that Kenny was going to be transitioning out of the youth ministry position, uh, still serving in a limited role, basically until we found his replacement. Shortly after we made that announcement, we posted the job in multiple different places where we thought good candidates would see it. And we did get some good resumes. We received seven to eight resumes that we thought were overall very impressive. We were very happy with the quality of candidates that we got. We eventually narrowed that down to four candidates who we were particularly interested in. We had dinner with those candidates, myself and several of our elders, got to know them a little bit, got to know their personalities, their interests, their backgrounds. We then narrowed that down to two candidates and that's where we currently stand. We have two candidates that we've had dinner with, We've had a second interview with one of those candidates, and we have a second interview scheduled for the other candidate this week. So we wanted to update you because we're getting closer. Uh, We want to make this decision relatively quickly. Like you, we want to find out where we're going to go. We want to kind of get this over with and let that next candidate hit the ground running. But at the same time, we don't want to make a rash decision, don't want to make a hasty decision. We want to be patient, diligent, and do our homework. So... We're getting closer. Uh, We appreciate your patience, but we ask for your prayers uh, as we continue to interview these two candidates and determine, hopefully, prayerfully, uh, what we believe to be in the best interest of our church at large and also in the best interest of our students here at Prairie View. So if you have any questions about that, feel free to talk to me, talk to one of our elders. On the one hand, we want to appreciate the privacy of those candidates who are interviewing. But on the other hand, we do want to keep you in the loop we do want to be transparent. We do want to be open with you as a congregation. So if you have any questions about that, talk to me, talk to one, one of our elders, excuse me, and we'd be happy to have more conversation. So now to the sermon. Having just spent two weeks in the book of Nahum, uh, we shift today to a story that is much more well known, and that is the book of Jonah. Now, Nahum and Jonah have some important things in common. For example, both are part of the minor prophets, both specifically concern God's action towards the Assyrian city of Nineveh. And on top of that, the two books are written only about 100 years apart, which in the big scheme of things isn't that much time. But maybe most importantly, both Nahum and Jonah serve to tell us a lot about who God is and what God does. Nahum spoke about the judgment of God, emphasizing that God never takes sin lightly. And as we mentioned, that's not just a quirky Old Testament thing. It's a common theme in the New Testament as well. After all, if you want to see just how seriously God takes sin, look at the cross. Where Christ's body was broken and Christ's blood was shed for your sin and for my sin. But the book of Jonah tells us much about the grace of God and not just towards the wicked city of Nineveh. Ironically, the core message of Jonah isn't just about God's grace towards the people of Nineveh, but also his grace towards Jonah himself. Now, in light of all these similarities, it makes sense to look at Nahum and Jonah back to back because these two books show us two different yet essential sides of God's role and who he is. But one way that the book of Jonah is different from the book of Nahum is this much more than the book of Nahum, the book of Jonah challenges us to look ourselves in the mirror. So today we're going to look at the entire story of Jonah, because to break it up, I think would sap it of some of its power. It's a story of action and adventure, disobedience and grace, full of both emotion and surprises. And as we read this book, we may find that we're more like Jonah than we realize. So you open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Feel free to use one of the Bibles that we provide and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. We'll have some verses up on the screen, but not every single verse. So again, I'd encourage you to follow along on your phone, on your tablet, ...in one of the Bibles that we provide. But before we do any reading, let's pray together, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you again for your word, that you reveal yourself to us, that you want to be known by us, that you want to be in relationship with us. And Father, we are grateful for that. We're grateful that you are holy, you are righteous, you are powerful, you are good, but we are also incredibly thankful... That you are patient and merciful and gracious. So patient and so merciful and so gracious that you weren't just content to punish sin. You also provided a savior that we might not have to face that punishment. So, Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his cross. Thank you for his resurrection that brings us all together. From different walks of life, different experiences, different opinions, and yet we can call each other brother and sister because of what your son has done for us and the grace that you've shown each of us. So be with us this morning as we study your word. Give us open hearts, open minds, open ears to listen to what it is you have to say. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Jonah chapter one, starting in verse one. So as we start our story, we meet a prophet of God named Jonah. Now, almost everything that we know about Jonah comes from this book. The only other Old Testament reference to Jonah is a passing remark in Second Kings 1425. But from the little information that we do have about Jonah, we can assume that he's a pretty typical Israelite prophet. He's a messenger sent from God. To speak to God's people. That's who he is. That's what he does. But here, Jonah receives a very specific calling from God, a kind of calling that he has never received before. God commands him to go to Nineveh and announce God's judgment against them. Now, this is a pretty big, pretty scary, slightly intimidating task for several different reasons. Reason number one, Nineveh, well, they're Gentiles. They're Gentiles. Normally, God sent prophets to speak to God's people, the Israelites, not Gentiles. Why in the world would non-Israelites listen to anything God has to say, much less anything Jonah has to say? Why would they listen? Reason number two, that Jonah might not be too fond of this calling, is that You know, they're not just any Gentiles. They're the most wicked Gentiles you could possibly find. At this time, Assyria is not as powerful as they would be in the time of Nahum. But they're just as evil. They're just as wicked. Jonah doesn't want to go there. And on top of that, going to Nineveh and announcing God's judgment against them. Jonah would have to view that as a death wish. Remember the Assyrians' brutality that we talked about a couple of weeks ago? The heinous crimes they would commit, the violence they were guilty of? Well, Jonah's just the kind of guy that they would not hesitate to burn alive, dismember, decapitate. He's a prime candidate. So put yourself in Jonah's shoes. You receive this calling from God to go to Nineveh. What do you do? Well... Jonah does what many of us would probably do. He flees. He directly disobeys God's orders, effectively resigning his position as God's prophet. He gets on a boat, heads the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, west towards Tarshish. Now, again, put yourself in Jonah's head. What's he thinking? How's he feeling about all this? What would drive him to directly disobey God? Well, it's probably a combination of things. Jonah thinks that God may be asking too much of him. Unrealistic expectations. It's unfair. It's even unjust to put Jonah in a situation like that. Maybe Jonah's thinking this is a fool's errand. This is just going to be a waste of time. I mean, are people like them really going to repent of their sin anyway? What are the chances? And finally, Jonah's probably just scared. Well, there's actually one more reason Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh and announce God's judgment, but we'll talk about that later. But for now, what Jonah should have known is that no matter where you go, east, west, north, south, Nineveh, Tarshish, You can't hide from God. You simply can't hide from God. Remember how Adam and Eve tried to hide from God after they disobeyed him in the Garden of Eden? That didn't work out for them. You can't run from God's call forever. You simply can't hide from him. You can't get away from his presence. Look at how David puts it in Psalm 139, starting in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Jonah's going to learn that part really well. Uttermost parts of the sea. Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can't run away from God. Adam and Eve learned that the hard way. And Jonah's about to learn that too. Have you ever tried to run away from God? Have you ever tried to run away from a calling from God? Now, I'm not talking about something that may or may not be a calling from God. You're not totally sure. I'm talking about a situation like Jonah. A situation where you know beyond the shadow of a doubt... That God wants you to do something It is clear as day And yet you tie tail it the other direction Maybe you run from it because it seems like God is asking you to do too much Unrealistic expectations Maybe you run because it seems like a fool's errand A waste of time Nothing good could possibly come out of that Maybe you run because you're scared Well, if that's you, take heart Because you're not alone Before Jonah, there was Moses. God called Moses to go back to Egypt to lead his people out of captivity. And Moses tried over and over again to get out of it, making up multiple excuses to convince God that he had the wrong guy. Send someone else. But eventually God won out in the end. I wonder if he's going to win out with Jonah. Well, maybe right now you're disobeying God. By fleeing from something that you know he wants you to do. Well, if nothing else, you can at least know that you're not the first person to do that. You won't be the last person to do that. But you should also be warned. You can't hide from God forever. Adam and Eve learned it. Jonah's learning it as we speak. And you too will learn it one day as well. But let's pick up in Jonah's story, chapter one, verse four. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us, that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country of what people are you? Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. There's your word for the day. Tempestuous. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish. To swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Coincidentally, a storm brews at the same time and same place as Jonah's boat. So the Gentile sailors cry out to their various gods for rescue. Of course, to no avail. They demand that Jonah cry out to his God as well. After all, any God will do. Any God that wants to step in and save them would be more than welcome to do that. They cast lots, the ancient version of drawing straws, to see who's to blame for this disaster. And coincidentally, the blame falls on Jonah. So Jonah tells the sailors to throw him into the sea. Maybe then God will forgive these innocent sailors, will save them from the storm. And Jonah deserves to die for his disobedience anyway, right? But then, of course, again, coincidentally, a huge fish is swimming close by and swallows Jonah alive. There's some irony in this part of the story, if you think about it. Jonah gets on that boat to avoid preaching to Gentiles. And yet that's exactly what he ends up doing. I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea. There's some irony there. And yet God in his grace saves Jonah when he had every right to simply let Jonah drown. And as Jonah sits in the belly of that fish, Jonah begins to recognize God's grace towards him. In chapter 2, Jonah prays to God and thanks him for his mercy, for his salvation. You'd think that after an experience like this, Jonah will have learned his lesson, right? After an experience like this, if he makes it out of this fish alive, surely he's going to emerge a changed Albeit slightly more stinky, kind of prophet, right? Surely he's going to learn. Surely he'll be different. Let's see what happens in Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Jonah's been saved. The fish coughed him up. He's alive. He's on dry land. So, Jonah is barfed up by the fish. He gets a fresh start. He receives the exact same orders, the exact same call he received last time, word for word. But this time, Jonah obeys. And you know, yet again, we see God's grace towards Jonah. We saw it the first time in saving his life in the belly of that fish. And now we see God's grace again, because God gives Jonah a second chance to get it right. He gives him a second chance to obey. He could have just sent him home forever shamed, never to fulfill the role of prophet again. And yet God gives him a chance to obey. So Jonah marches into Nineveh and says exactly what God told him to say. Judgment is coming. And any Assyrian who believes Jonah's words would be pretty wise to repent of their sin and turn to God for mercy. And in one of the biggest surprises of the book, and much to Jonah's dismay, the sermon works. It works. The basketful of deplorables in Nineveh actually repents of their sin. They are deplorable people. Even the king himself repents. And God turns from the disaster that he was sending their way. What a surprise. What a story. Who could have seen that coming? Now think about it. Have you ever known someone and thought to yourself, that person is totally beyond repentance? There is absolutely no way that that person could ever change. Hell will freeze over and pigs will fly before that person ever turns from their sin and turns towards God. Well, the book of Jonah tells us that when a message from God is proclaimed, even an Assyrian can experience the grace of God. The biggest piece of advice that I would give you if you're trying to do ministry to one of those people, the kind of person who it seems would never turn from their sin and turn towards God. The biggest advice I would give you is to give them a message from God. Put the living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword word of God in their hands. Because when even the most hardened sinner encounters an authentic message from God, anything can happen. Jonah's words could never draw those wicked Assyrians to repentance. But God's words did. Your words and my words will never draw anyone to repentance. But God's word can. Jonah finally obeyed. The Assyrians surprisingly repented. God had mercy on them. Directions to Nineveh, I know. Nineveh could be hard to find. I don't know that fish have GPSs. Jonah finally obeyed. The Assyrians surprisingly repented. Against all odds, right? And sure enough, God had mercy on them. God forgave them. It turns out Jonah's trip wasn't a waste. It wasn't a fool's errand. He had nothing to be afraid of after all. Now, you put that all together and you think, man, what a great ending. What a storybook ending. It's a happy ending. It's time to celebrate, right? Well, not for everybody. Look at Jonah chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city of Nineveh. Well, earlier we talked about the multiple reasons Jonah didn't want to obey God's call. But here we learn that the root of his disobedience wasn't fear. It wasn't intimidation. It wasn't a lack of confidence in God's message. None of those things caused him to flee. More than anything, Jonah fled because he had a straight-up, good-old-fashioned, white-hot hatred for the people of Nineveh. He fled because he knew that God was gracious, and he didn't want the Assyrians to experience that grace. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to turn from their sin. He didn't want them to be forgiven. He didn't want God God to be merciful towards them. Jonah wanted to sit on a hill east of the city, break out the popcorn, and watch those people burn. That's what he wanted. You know, Jonah's kind of like the older brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Instead of celebrating his brother's repentance... He's bitter. Jonah's kind of like that unforgiving servant in one of Jesus's other parables. A man who was all too willing to accept God's grace for himself, but didn't want to show grace to anybody else. And God asked that important question in verse four. Question number one. Does Jonah do well to be angry? The answer to that question is a resounding no. Now, have you ever had a person, or maybe even an entire people group, who you hate so much that deep down you wouldn't want them to repent of their sin? You don't want them to be forgiven. You don't want them to be reconciled to God. You don't want them to be shown mercy. More than anything, you want to sit on a hill, break out the popcorn, and watch those people burn. Last week, we remembered what happened on September 11th, 15 years ago. And when September 11th happened, all the violence, all the bloodshed, all the pain, all the heartbreak, at that moment, it became really easy to look at entire religions, entire races, Entire regions of the world and hate them so much that you'd prefer we just incinerate them all. That way they don't get the opportunity to hear the gospel. That way they don't get the opportunity to repent. In the words of one failed presidential candidate, you'd like to see if we can make the sand glow. You don't want those people to be forgiven. You want to watch them burn. You don't want them to repent. You don't want them to experience God's grace. You want them judged. Well, maybe those people aren't your weak spot. Maybe those people aren't your Nineveh. Maybe it's the parent who left you. Maybe it's the spouse who cheated on you. Or the man who abused you. The friend who betrayed you. Maybe you have that person in your life. Who your hatred for them far outweighs your desire for them to believe the gospel. It far outweighs your desire for them to experience God's grace. Well, God has a lesson for people like Jonah. And he has a lesson for people like you and for people like me. Jonah chapter 4, picking back up in verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Jonah. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Coincidentally, a plant grows up over Jonah that provides wonderful, refreshing shade. And then coincidentally, a worm attacks the plant, killing it. And of course, coincidentally, a scorching wind then beats down on Jonah As he wallows in his own self-pity. That's when God asks question number two of Jonah. Are you angry because the plant died? Jonah says, yeah, you bet I am angry. I'm very angry. But then God asks the third question. The rhetorical question of verse 11. And that's when the lesson becomes very clear. Do I not do well to pity Nineveh? Should I not pity Nineveh? 120,000 persons in that great city. When God says that, he exposes the fact that Jonah is a hypocrite for mourning over the death of a plant. And yet wanting and willing and desiring the death and judgment and punishment of people created in God's image. He's a hypocrite. In the same way, you and I are hypocrites if we worship God for forgiving our sins, but don't like the idea of God forgiving other people's sins. We are hypocrites if we mourn the death of a dog, but celebrate the death of human beings created in God's image, no matter how wicked they might be. So does Jonah learn the lesson? How do you think he would answer that question of verse 11? Should I not pity Nineveh? Well, the truth is that we don't know how Jonah answers that question. But what matters more than how Jonah answers that question is how we answer that question. I pray that we would thank God for his grace towards us. That we would thank God for his grace towards Jonah and even the Assyrians. And that we would even go so far as to thank God for his grace towards those people that we really want to hate. You know, when God first appointed Jonah to preach to sinners, Jonah refused. But when God appointed Jesus to die for them, he obeyed. Jesus is the source of our forgiveness, our hope, our confidence, and our joy. And the challenge of Jonah and our prayer as we leave today is this. That we would be just as eager to extend God's grace to others as we are to receive it for ourselves. We pray that even those people who our gut tells us we should hate would find the same forgiveness, hope, Confidence and joy That God has given us Through his son, Jesus Christ And be careful As you pray that prayer That we would learn to extend God's grace to other people Be careful Because you may find That God even wants people that you hate To experience his grace And taking it one step further God may even want you to be the one to tell them about His grace. Let's pray. Father, we are in no position to withhold Your grace from other people. As sinners who have been forgiven not by our merits, Not by our own proven worthiness. Sinners who have been forgiven purely, solely, entirely out of your mercy and your kindness and your grace, we are in no position to withhold grace from anyone else. Father, there are people in this world who we are tempted to hate. People in this world who, if we're really honest, We kind of just want to see them get punished. We just want to see them suffer. But Father, I pray that you would get rid of that awful, sinful disposition in our hearts. That you would eradicate that from our hearts and from our minds. That we would learn to love as you love. We would learn to show grace as you show grace. And as you've already shown grace to us by calling us your children. Thank you for the book of Jonah. It's somewhat encouraging. It's somewhat, I don't know, maybe a little comforting to read about someone in the Bible who didn't get it right because we don't get it right either. And yet you still use Jonah, and I pray that you would still use us. Thank you for your kindness, your mercy, your forgiveness all through the cross, all through Jesus' broken body and shed blood. May we go out this morning and proclaim that to anyone who will listen, even those people who we don't want to love. We love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.